0: Put in your earbuds, pour a cup of tea, or put on your work gloves. It's time for another episode of the No Till Flowers Podcast. As always, I'm your ever curious host, Jenny Love. Every farm starts somewhere and it evolves over the years. Today, I'm joined by Laura Beth Resnick from Butterbee Farm, just outside of Baltimore, Maryland, to discuss the nuts and bolts of building a farm. Some of you longtime listeners may remember Laura Beth from season one of the podcast. In that episode, we talked in detail about her no-till practices, growing in greenhouses, weed management, and much more. It was a packed full episode, so go back and give that a listen if you haven't already. I've put a link in the show notes, of course. In early 2022, Laura Beth and her husband and farm partner Joshua made a huge move from the well established farm they'd been leasing for eight years to a newly purchased farm 40 minutes away. It was essentially starting over from scratch, save for their loyal wholesale customer base. Given this powerful juncture in her life and her business, I thought it would be interesting to have Laura Beth back on the show to dish out the details of building a farm from the ground up, not once, but twice. I know many of you are just starting out and looking for land to farm, and others of you have been farming for several seasons and might be feeling the itch to move and expand. This episode is entirely for you. We talk about finding land and the pros and cons of renting versus owning. After listening, if you're craving more details and sage advice on building a farm, Laura Beth offers an online class on this topic. There's a direct link in the show notes. And even if you aren't planning to build or rebuild a farm, there are still some gems in this chat for you. It's winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. Lots of planning and dreaming boldly. And often it's a precarious time for farmer well-being. Laura Beth and I talk about that a bit here too. If you're feeling seasonal anxiety right now, I hope listening to our heart-to-heart is good medicine for you. As always, a quick word of gratitude to the more than 800 members of the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network, who so generously sponsor this show through their membership fees. The Regenerative Flower Farmers Network is a vibrant community hub for the ever-curious flower farmer, making valuable connections and serving as a repository of articles on regenerative practices. Membership in the network, which costs just $5 annually, goes to support the making of more podcast episodes here on No-Till Flowers. Look for the link in the show notes if you'd like to join the ongoing conversation over there. And with that, let's get into this candid conversation with today's guest, Laura Beth Resnick from Butterbee Farm in Maryland. I have Laura Beth from Butterbee Farm with me again. Um, Laura Beth, you were with me back in season one. I think you were, were you even the first? No, I think you were the second guest on the podcast that I ever had. So things have really evolved for me and also evolved a lot for you with your farm at Butterbee and all the changes that you've made. So I wanted to bring you back on to the podcast now because you've made um, a big farm move. And I think there's a lot of insight that you can uh, convey to our listeners about how to find a farm, um, what to think about in terms of infrastructure and building out the farm and all of that stuff. So this is a question I've gotten from listeners and I'm really excited to pick your brain today because you're one smart cookie. So thanks for joining me again.
1: Oh, thanks. Well, I'm really excited just to talk to you and I love listening to your podcast and yeah, it's great. Great to be back. I'm excited. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be an exorcism because I haven't really talked about what's been happening on with the move in a big sort of look back kind of way yet
0: so here we go oh all right well we're gonna dive right (laughs) in um just because there's a lot of meat and potatoes that i can't wait to get out there on the airwaves so let's start with just do a really really quick brief recap of your farming history so you started flower farming in particular in 2014 i think it was is that right or am i getting my year wrong
1: super close. Yeah, I started in 2013. Um, So this is our 10th season actively in business. And I started on a 13th of an acre in Baltimore City and then moved the farm out to Ikesville, where I had some family friends that had a farm and they had plenty of property, but they weren't really using it. Um, that's a whole thing too, like how I found that land. It wasn't easy or yeah. simple, but and we'll go into uh, that it then. kind of fell yeah. into my lap. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then we were there for, I guess, eight years. And for six of those years, we lived on the property and worked for our landlords as groundskeepers. So my husband had that job full time. So he was still around, you know, I always say like he mowed circles around me while I was in the field farming flowers <laughs> and, but he had technically had another full-time job. So, and then we bought our own place and now we're here
0: cool um and you just give give listeners an idea in case they didn't hear your first episode though everybody should totally go back to season one and look up my chat with laura beth back then because uh, she had so many amazing insights about just generally running a farm and everything but um, just give listeners a recap two of your sales outlets basically you do mostly wholesale correct
1: We do, yeah. Almost probably 95% of what we sell goes directly to florists in Baltimore and D.C., and that was the decision we made really early on because when I met my husband, I had just started the farm. I started the farm right before I met him, but when he came on board, he was like, look, we really need to think about what we want our lifestyle to be. Very smart. He is smart. So that's what he said. (laughs) And he said, We don't want to be working all weekends, right? Because we'll never see the people we love. And so we were like, okay, we're not doing farmers markets, because in our area, most of the good ones are on weekends. So that was out. And uh there were a couple of other sales outlets I already knew I didn't want to do. Um, you know me, so you know I can (laughs) I have a lot of emotions, so sometimes retail like face-to-face with customers isn't a great thing for me because it's just dealing with a lot of people so um, as much as I love people I sometimes can't handle like their emotional issues (laughs) right
0: but for the record you are excellent with people but maybe that just doesn't feed your soul which I can totally relate to
1: (laughs) maybe that's what it is thank you that's very nice maybe it's more just like a you know my preference but yeah so one-on-one relationships that are close is really what I enjoy and so that's why we kind of dove right into Florida sales. And we're lucky to meet Ellen Frost from local color flowers in Baltimore, who kind of single-handedly created a local Baltimore flower movement, I guess, almost nine years ago. And uh, yeah, she convinced me to grow flowers and sell to her. And um, we kind of built from there. So now we have about 10 customers, I would say, who buy from us at least once a week, typically twice a week. And um, the rest of our product goes to, I guess we have over a hundred people on our availability list or not those 10, but they might order, you know, twice a year or just in the fall or whatever.
0: Wow. That's a lot of customers then to manage in a wholesale perspective. So some in a future podcast, I might bring you back again to talk about how to manage a big wholesale customer list. But for now, we'll stay focused because I go down rabbit holes way too much on this show. So, <laughs> so to recap, you started farming about 10 years ago. You were farming in Baltimore on a smaller space. And then you had to um, move your farm once. And then again, um, this past year, you moved your farm in 2022 actually so uh, basically you've set up a farm, a flower farm in particular uh, a couple times so I feel like that that is a, a great starting point for helping listeners who are also trying to start a flower farm figure out what they would do and how to do that so this is, this is the trajectory of our conversation though there's so many amazing things in your brain that I could tease out and um, put on air but let's start with how did you find your first piece of land? The very first one, the one that was like a 13th of an acre or whatever it
1: was. How did you do that one? What was that? Right. Well, these are, you know, the days of Craigslist. Just imagine. (laughs) So internet isn't... (laughs) quite as, uh, you know, powerful, I guess, as as it is now. It's 2013. So Craigslist is actually the way that I looked for the most part. I didn't know anybody really in Baltimore. I grew up there and then I moved away for college. And by the time I moved back, I had been away. I had farmed in the Northeast, but I didn't really have that many connections in Baltimore. I moved in with like a high school friend who I didn't know that well into a cockroach infested apartment in Baltimore and was like, you know, looking for land, trying to figure it out. So uh, there is a great organization in Baltimore called the Farm Alliance that kind of brings farmers together who are on urban sites. And that's how I started out with just this little 13th of an acre in Baltimore City. But um, that wasn't going to be, you know, my long-term trajectory because it was tiny. It wasn't, didn't really feel like mine. There were people walking by all the time. I just, I wanted something that was Actually, a farm.
0: Um, Not.
1: Oh my gosh, that sounds terrible.
0: No. Yeah. We should. Okay. So for the record, I did. (laughs) I I I did this for um, somebody I was coaching the other day in a seminar. Um, I helped clarify what is a a farm, technically speaking, by the USDA standards. Do you know this, Laura Beth? It's basically if you sell. Yeah, by USDA standards, if you sell a thousand dollars of. Something you grew or you know, livestock or whatever. But basically if you make a thousand dollars worth of sales in one year, you are considered a farm by the USDA. So you just have to have a thousand dollars of sales. So that's amazing. Yeah, it doesn't take much to uh yeah. meet the beat the technical terms of it at least. <laughs> right.
1: Exactly. Well what yeah. I mean to say is I wanted to feel like I was on a stereotypical farm. I wanted to feel yeah. like there were rolling hills. I wanted to, you know, have lots of land so um and I should say like call out to the amazing urban farmers in Baltimore, one of them, Maya Cossack from Hill and Homestead, like she's amazing and her farm is incredible. So yeah. not to say urban farmers can't be farmers. Yes. Definitely. Okay. Did I did I crawl my way out of that hole? Yes, um, you did. Sure. I think I think sure, yeah. safely
0: enough. Yeah. And, and for the okay. record, I started on a very small space too, and it was a community garden <laughs> right. in the city. We both have urban farms. I'm in Philly. You're in Baltimore. And and um, I I felt the same way. Like I my first two seasons, I was growing on this very tiny. I don't even know how much. I mean, it wasn't even enough to calculate acreage. It was so tiny. It was like twenty by forty feet. <laughs> When I look back on that now, I can't believe I did that. But I know, um, it's
1: so funny. I know.
0: yeah <laughs> but we it, started. Yeah, and, and we grew businesses out of that. So you do not have to have a ton of space to start a flower business, to cultivate the flowers, to learn how to sell the flowers. In fact, I think starting small is actually really beneficial you learn a lot of stuff right. you cultivate a customer base and then you you know i think the maybe a bigger mistake is the people that start with the whole acre but they've never sold a flower before and like then they just have a lot of wasted stems because they don't have the demand for it and and that's a lot of effort to go into um if right. you don't have what it takes so uh so i think I think both of us, starting small is good. Starting small is good, everybody who's listening. (laughs) Small is good. You don't have to have a lot of space. Small is great. Small is great. But then you do want to get to a bigger space. So tell us your next step from there, Laura Beth. How did you find that land? I know you had a personal connection, but just in general, how would you coach people to find a larger space? Right. You
1: know, the irony is the way that we looked for land in 2021 it's the same as the way I looked for land in at the end of 2013 I talked to everyone. I looked everywhere. I did literally everything I could think of. So I used Craigslist back in the day. I would post about it. I would be on it all the time. I talked to everyone. I talked to people at the Farm lines. I talked to people at Future Harvest. Just every organization that has anything to do with farming, I would like be like, who do you know? Who can I talk to? I emailed people I knew who were landowners. I drove around and put envelopes in mailboxes. I did this wow. both in 2013 <laughs> and in 2021. Yeah. So the way to look for land truly Um, it's a little different because we were trying to buy in 2021, whereas I was just looking to lease in 2013. Mm -hmm. I, I never thought I would own land. I never thought we could afford it. I never even imagined that my business would be as successful as it is. So at the time I was just trying to live my best life. I wanted to farm (laughs) and I wanted to just, I just wanted to do that so badly. And, you know, buying land, it's a little different. We can talk about that more, but, um, what ended up happening for our first plot of land, or I guess I should say our second, when we moved out to the county. I had an old family friend who um, was my ex-boyfriend's little sister, actually. So here's really <laughs> the lesson is just to make. Ex boyfriends who are landowners, <laughs> and then farm their land. So I hope that helps. Or everyone just make a whole lot. personal
0: connections. Let's 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 make <laughs> yeah, it a little more generic. And a <laughs> lot of times exactly. it does come down to personal conge- connections because that's what happened to me too. Not, just to you know amplify your own story is that I was you know I started in that tiny community garden plot, but then it was like I I know I built this demand. I need more space, and I did the exact same thing you did. And I often say that's calling out to the universe. You just start talking about it. Just talk about it to everybody you know. Mention it to everybody you can. I I personally, I was still looking right in the heart of the city. So I was going around looking at like churches that maybe had extra space on the side of their property or, you know, any any like open space I saw I was like, oh, I got to stop and talk to that person. And I had a couple of false starts and dead ends and all of that stuff, just like I'm sure you did too. And then it was because I told everybody I knew that I wanted this one of my friends her name's Nicole and Nicole was like oh you want you know, space to grow on. And my friend over here, Sam, he has like an acre of land that he's been struggling to maintain. Um, because, you know, who can maintain an acre of land when you have a full time job. So like she connected us. And that was the beginning of like a huge change in my business. And, and it's those personal connections that make all the difference. So ex-boyfriends or best friends or whoever, it's just like, talk to the universe about it. Basically, tell everybody, <laughs> tell everybody, you know,
1: Exactly. <laughs> funny for me to hear that you did that too because I I sometimes think like I must just be totally crazy like the way I go about this <laughs> seems so massively like spastic I guess yeah, you yeah. know but I guess yeah maybe I'm not the only person when you yeah. really want something you know yeah. you'll do anything so. yeah
0: no and it, it is it is oh maybe I'll take a moment to try to articulate this like deep Uh, philosophy i carry with me in my life which i'm not very good at articulating at some point point, I maybe should just write this out and it'll make a lot more sense but i look at the universe i don't believe in um in fate per se uh and i do like to think about free will a lot because i'm like i'm an aries and i like to drive change (laughs) like let me do it that's the way i am but i think in i approach life in this hybrid model where i look at it as like a connect the dots picture and so these dots the universe sort of has preordained you know define universe however you want but there's these dots out in our in our own personal maps and then it's our job with our free will to draw the lines between the dots so i always feel like the way you draw the lines is by talking about it by manifesting it so to speak by saying to the universe like hey i'm ready now i know there's this dot out there somewhere i don't know how to get to it but i'm gonna i'm gonna like have the faith to just keep moving forward in my own style and my own voice uh with my own energy and be me and and then the dot every time I've I've held to this faith (laughs) it works it really does I swear it does so um I think you are manifesting that in your own way too over there Laura Beth
1: (laughs) well I love that so much it my motto all of last year while we were moving the farm was trust the process yeah which I think is my way of saying what you're saying yeah yeah, exactly and it really. it really helped and worked. I
0: mean, here we are, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you are on a new farm, but we don't want to give away all the, all the spoiler bits just yet. So, <laughs> so let's go back. Okay. So you, you uh, talked about it enough that somebody said, Hey, here's land. And so you got into a lease in urban, it's an urban space, but you weren't right in the middle of Philadelphia anymore. Your own Pikesville. So, or not Philadelphia, sorry, Baltimore. <laughs> I'm in Philly. You're in Baltimore. <laughs> But you moved out to Pikesville and had a much larger space. So tell us a little bit about that operation just in general, Like how did you get started? How did you grow it? And um kind of what did you feel in the process of leasing land? What was that like in terms of how you moved forward in building your farm?
1: Yeah. Well, this is the part that'll probably take me some years to unpack on my own. <laughs> but uh, I guess succinctly, we built up the farm over eight years growing essentially a half acre every year wow so we started with a half acre and we ended up at about four and a half is that right did i do the math right yeah i think think so
0: so. i just know that's a lot of land and your farm looked like it was four and a half acres so (laughs) yeah i'll give that a nod Yeah, sure.
1: (laughs) right we also built about one tunnel or greenhouse every year and ended up with i guess total seven um and we Changed our growing practices to a few years in. We started tilling, you know, just how I had learned on farms where I trained. And then we found Jean Martin Fortier. Mm-hmm. If I'm saying his name right, I don't speak French. I, do, I don't and, speak French
0: either. I can never say his name right. I'm sure I butcher it every yes. single time.
1: <laughs> you know, that guy. Yeah. And uh, yes, and we started using no till methods probably around a year like three at the, okay. at the Pikesville farm. And I uh, sort of slowly grew our business bit by bit, but I, have looking back feel like year five at the new at the the old new place, at the Pikesville <laughs> place. At year five was when things really started to take off and it felt like people were coming to us instead of me having to knock on doors mm-hmm. and kind of like twist people's arms mm-hmm. to buy from us. Yeah. Instead it felt like I could choose my customers and turn people away if it wasn't a good fit. And um, it took us a while to get there. And mm-hmm. around that same time was when I also hit a good stride with hiring and felt like mm-hmm. I knew what I needed and was able to manage people in a way that felt comfortable for me and comfortable for them. So everything kind of came together around year five.
0: Yeah. I feel like I hear that a lot. Year for, year five is like the make or break. You get up to year five as a grower and it's like, cool, this is all sinking in and the the wheels are clicking, you know, the cogs are moving and they've they've caught on to each other and everything's rolling, or year five is like. I, I can't I can't do this. So it's like that's I feel like that's the year I always hear that growers are either in for the long haul or they're not in for the long haul. So if you're if any listeners are approaching year five, um, buckle up. And I promise Laura Beth and I are both examples of you get to year five and you you power through and you learn better and harder than you've ever learned before. And you can come out the chute on the other end better for it. Uh, but there are some people that, that year five is a wall. And then, and then that's OK, too. If year five is your year to realize this doesn't work, it's not my cup of, of tea or my bin of worms, whichever way you want to put it. <laughs> You can, you can go, you can go on and support other flower farmers in a different way. So, so yeah. So right. you're or just
1: business models yeah. to, you right. know, suit your needs. I yeah. often hear people say that they're um, like really unhappy growing. Like I, have, I was talking to somebody the other day, a mentee who was saying they were growing like several acres of peonies. Mm. and. From what she was saying, it sounded like she wasn't able to take care of them in the way that she wanted to. So one of the things we came to in that conversation was, well, maybe growing peonies is is right for you, but maybe just not three acres, maybe one acre, you know, yeah. making it the work more accessible so that you don't feel like you're failing all the time. Right. Yeah. You know, so there's other ways to adjust after year five if you feel like things aren't working, you know. True.
0: True. Yeah. I think the whole point is that there's an evolutionary process, you know, like your farm evolved tremendously over the past 10 years. And I think everybody's farm evolves in, you know. throughout the lifetime uh you know lisa at uh the gardener's workshop talks about that all the time too and uh just you know the evolution of a farm it's it's a complex dynamic living creature it's not just a one-time one-time thing this is the work of a lifetime is what i always like to say and remind everybody because you can get into this funnel tunnel vision of of you know this season this season and it's like yeah it's actually n- not about this season it's about all the seasons <laughs> and and what comes out of all of those seasons so yeah um so we'll to keep keep taking us through your own farm evolution then so you you're you're five yeah, so- you hit your stride
1: Yes. And you asked about the lease, like mm-hmm. what that was mm-hmm. about. So the lease agreement that we had with our landlords was actually year by year to start. Mm-hmm. And then a few years in, it became a three year lease. And I actually asked for a much longer term lease than that. And um, what they were comfortable with was a three year lease. But then if we chose to leave, or if they asked us to leave, we could have one year to do that. Mm-hmm. So technically, we stretched it to a four year lease. Okay. And there are pros and cons to that arrangement um it's good for everyone in the sense that no one's hands are tied which is really nice and ended up serving us really well when it was time for us to move on but it did give me a sense that um not that i couldn't trust our landlords but that my future was unstable Mm -hmm. and i think there there is something to be said there are so many pros and cons to leasing versus zoning so this is just my my experience, which is going to be different from everyone else's, but I think there's something to be said for a sense of just like deep security mm-hmm. and knowledge. Of course, you never know what's gonna to happen to you, right? Like we truly have no control that but, but we can at least have confidence in our home, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope. Yeah. At least to a point. And I never achieved that at the Pikesville place because of that short-term lease. And when I asked for a longer lease and didn't get it, it really reinforced that feeling that I was always gonna be on kind of unsteady ground. If
0: I stayed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also leased land. I still lease land actually. Um, I still lease an acre, but back in the day I leased another acre from another organization and the longest lease they were willing to do was three years as well. And that was where all my woodies were. I put all my woodies, which take five years to mature to begin with. And then it's like 10 years until you're really actually like making back all the money you invested in the place. Um, beginner's mistake, for the record, shouldn't have done that. (laughs) But I did learn. I learned a lot of things along the way. But uh, yeah, eventually they just didn't want to renew the lease anymore. And it was like, well, I guess I got to walk away from all this gorgeous snowball viburnum, limelight hydrangeas, you know, nine bark, you know, the stuff that had finally become mature. So it is it's hard to really settle in and, and plan for a very, very long term future of the farm. If you're leasing it, it's definitely not not as ideal. But there's some pros to
1: it. But yeah. Yes, and we should talk about those. Yeah. So, um one one pro I guess to planting those woodies, or I guess one way to approach thinking like should I plant woodies on my lease land is doing just simply doing the math. I feel confident that we made our money back and then some from planting the woodies that we did and left behind. So, you know, it just kind of depends again on your situation how long you're going to be there and how much you're selling this stuff for. And there's like so many factors that go into it, but we did leave the vast majority of our perennials behind. And, um, it's a little painful. I, I think about them sometimes <laughs> over there, 40 say, minutes away. <laughs> you're like, my kids, my kids are out there somewhere. <laughs> exactly. That's the way exactly. But, you know, we could not have afforded to buy land when we started the farm. And yeah by the time year eight rolled around, or I guess year nine, we realized we could. And that's Mm -hmm. why we did, you know, it was like one day, Joshua woke up and was like, Hey, like, could we buy our own farm? And I was like, mad at him. I was like, (laughs) I do not want to do that. Why are you trying to break my whole sense of peace and existence? And it was definitely an issue for a while. And then neither of us could really shake the idea. And, and, you know, we just realized that we had, we had to, you know, it was like the next thing that, that was calling us. Yeah. So, you know, we could not have done that without the our first nine years in business leasing at that low rate, with like, you know, mm-hmm. Joshua making his side income as the groundskeeper on their farm. It's just it had to happen. And not only that, but we learned so much yeah. about what not to do. Right. Exactly. Which we can <laughs> utilize now.
0: Yeah. I say make all the mistakes on somebody else's property. <laughs> That's always mm-hmm. what I say. Exactly. Make mistakes. And we did, else I assure you. Right, <laughs> So there's no shame in just spending 5, 10 years like growing in one space before you try to move to another. I think that one of the challenges is building up so much momentum in one space that then it is hard to steer the ship and change, which maybe is in the cards for you is not in the cards for you. So but the only way you get started is often by leasing land. I could not have afforded to buy land neither, you know, like you said you couldn't either. So so there's no um for those who are starting in flower farming who are listening or any kind of farming, it doesn't have to be flower farming, you know, it's a huge, huge cost to buy land. It's like one of the the biggest costs, probably the biggest cost you'll ever put into your business, into your farm enterprise. And to rush into that and to take on that debt load right from the beginning, before you even have the sales model and have it all sorted out, is like so much extra pressure. And you and I both, Laura Beth, can you know witness, bear witness to the fact that like there's so much stress in this business to begin with. Then to feel like I don't know how I'm going to pay off my loan, you know how the mortgage is going to come. Um, that's just like another piece that you don't necessarily need to add to the puzzle right away. I think there's a lot of newer growers rushing. To- to buy land, you know, like, oh, I want to buy a farm. And it's like, yeah, maybe, and, you know, those of you listening, maybe, maybe press pause, you know, for better or for worse, you'll, you'll have a better idea after the end of this, <laughs> this episode. <here. laughs> yeah, draw your own yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So you rented the land. you build up a, a huge amount of infrastructure on it. Then one day, your husband wakes up and says, "You know what? I think we should buy some land. Let's go move the farm." And so how how does one how did you work through figuring out that you were actually going to do it? So tell us a little bit about how you thought through that more to decide it was the right yeah. thing to do
1: it was really emotional. It was super emotional. I also am just like really close with these landlords. I've known them mm-hmm. since I was 16. i I'm Their daughter is one of my closest friends. It was complicated in a lot of ways. And um, also, you know, we had just gotten comfortable. Like <laughs> the, the thing I kept thinking about was I just don't want to go back to the days when we could only heat the house to like 50 degrees so and yeah. couldn't afford to heat it more. And I was cold all the time. I remember like you know, sending work emails with like my full winter coat and hat on, like, I just didn't want to do that. So badly didn't want to do that. (laughs) But like I said, it just was, the more we thought about it, the more I thought about it, I just couldn't, it wouldn't go away. So we actually, unfortunately, were having this revelation when that crazy housing thing was happening post pandemic, I guess Mm. during the pandemic and realized we had to try to find a place and buy during that. Um, the other element is that my husband, again, <laughs> had the brilliant, or we'll see, maybe not really an idea of asking my parents to buy the farm with us and to move to the farm with us. They were kind of going through a life change too, where my dad is getting close to retiring. He's a business owner as well. And um, because of the pandemic, uh, their connections where they live in Annapolis were becoming not as strong because everyone was you know, going mm-hmm. to yoga classes on Zoom instead of going in yeah. person. And you know, some people moved. You know, a pandemic kind of yeah. made everybody
0: yeah the community mess up. frayed in some ways, and then other other ways community bonded more. But yeah, your existing in person exactly. community kind of got a little worn and tattered in the pandemic. I think for yes. everybody, yeah.
1: I think so, yes, and as a result, we got to think about well well what if our future was a shared future. So we started looking for land with my parents, which is very interesting I can tell you because all four of us have different slightly different priorities and things that we want so trying to find a piece of land that like met everyone's requirements is no piece of cake, so it took us about a year. But during that process, we had to figure out what we can let go of what you know we can compromise on um the piece of property that we found ultimately was it was almost it's just as you said how you found your land it was a friend sent a link that someone sent to her garden club a woman was trying to sell her land and it was really important to her to sell to a farmer and that person chose us i mean we just got lucky she liked us we liked her it was a for sale by owner she didn't inflate the price like everybody else was it was just lucky That's amazing. Uh, But at that point we had spent, I know it was amazing. We spent like every, like I said, driving around putting letters in mailboxes, contacting everyone I knew. We had, we lost a contract that was pretty devastating before that, you know, so it wasn't like... You know, boom, we got there. But mm-hmm. um, during that year, this is all happened last year. We also had to run the farm because we needed the income so that we could build up our infrastructure. So I would say last year was probably one of the hardest years of my life because Aww. I was trying to operate a really profitable, have a really profitable year right. in business. And also we were trying to like manifest this thing for ourselves. Yeah. So we bought the place in um, February or I guess March. And then spent the rest of the year just like working our butts off to run our farm and also move the farm at the same time.
0: Wow. And how how far apart are the farms, your original Pikesville farm and your current Whitehall farm? How What's the driving distance there?
1: Yeah, it's 40 minutes, maybe an hour if if traffic is bad. So it's not terrible. But it's also not, you know, Yeah,
0: you don't just do that. You don't just be like, Oh, I got to run to the other farm. Like that's, that's a that's a commitment. That's like a whole day or a whole afternoon, at least to be like, Oh, I forgot the XYZ back at that farm. Now I got to drive over there and drive back. So yeah, that's that's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was.
1: <laughs> it was. <laughs> I was not talking about it. I'm like, we are crazy. You are crazy. I'm so not going to lie. Uh, for
0: everybody listening, Laura Beth is crazy. No, I, she's a yes, good friend of mine. And I I've watched this evolution and with all and it's inspiring. So everybody should check out Butterbee Farms on Instagram to watch the videos and all the the. Uh, Change, you know, literally, just it's a ton of change you've had in the past twelve months. It's kind of a a, beyond mind blowing to me. I'm not sure how you've done it all, frankly, but you're you're (laughs) a very determined uh, person.
1: (laughs) That that is, I yes, I will do it we'll get done one we'll <laughs> get it done it always <laughs> happens <laughs> so all right so
0: you've decided the the reason you decided to, to buy land i think i want to tease this apart a little bit more for listeners to help everybody who is maybe in a similar position right now sitting on the fence of like do i buy do i stay and lease do you know how do i do it um So one of the things I considered – well, again, like I said, my my situation was slightly different where it was do or die either buy this land or lose my current existing farm. But one of the things I had always thought was like I would really like – to purchase land so that I could start building equity for my farm. So I feel like a lot of times the challenge with leased space is that you can't necessarily build infrastructure. And when you build infrastructure as a business, as a business, you are building equity for your future. So there's these things that are now like hardcore, tangible things. And I'm talking like barns, greenhouses, um I don't know, any sort of literal infrastructure. You can also count tractors and stuff a little bit as infrastructure or as a equity. But these are things that help farmers in, particularly, uh, in particular um, sort of uh, manage the ebb and flows of really good years, and then really bad years. So it really helps with tax purposes, with your tax burden, to be able to build equity on your farm, because then you can take the depreciation value. And for the record, I am no accountant. Um, I just had really smart parents who were also farmers who taught me this very early on in my life. But basically, if you can build something, if you have a very good years as, as a farm, as a farm enterprise, if you can purchase something big, and then lower your tax burden, then you will have long-term financial stability as a farm. When you are on leased land, particularly smaller leased land, um, there's only so much you can build, if anything, that you can build. And so therefore, you're essentially a cash-based business, um, which makes you vulnerable to financial security. So not only are you vulnerable in the sense of you don't own the land and somebody could sweep it out from under you at any moment, but you're also sort of financially vulnerable and you're kind of living paycheck to paycheck, ultimately, like one way or the other. It's just this cash system. Um, So that was one thing I considered strongly when purchasing my land. It was sort of... Um, it was like, okay, cool. This is a terrifying move for the record. I was so freaked out to buy. I mean, my land was super, super expensive. Um, because it's in Philly. And it was just like this thing I could not wrap my mind around. Laura Beth, I'm sure you guys had same like situation where it's just like, holy cow, this is so much money. I don't know how I'll ever pay this off. Um, but it was I could start seeing after I got over the initial shock how I could build. I could I could build a barn. I could build a really good greenhouse that's going to last me for the rest of my life. I could put in these woodies that will be there for 20, 30 years until I retire. There are all these things that you can now put into place, which would build your equity as a business. So did you have a similar mental approach to it? Or how did it kind of work out for you and Joshua, like in general?
1: You know, no, I would say no, but you're totally right about everything you said. And the thing that I'm thinking about is, um, so we have a farm service agency loan. I'll talk more about, I'm teaching a class about how we build up the farm called mm, right. building, what, what is it called? Building Butterbee again. Yeah. That's what it's called, Building yeah. Butterbee again. <laughs> uh, it's an online class. Anyway, I'm going to talk about this in detail okay. there, but just briefly. So farm service agency operating loan, Um, I believe, so how it works is if you, or building infrastructure at your new place, they can take that as collateral for your loan. You know what I mean? Oh. So, like, what you're saying was like concretely true for us because, like, we didn't own anything yet, right? Like when we were building the farm last year, yeah. we didn't Like, I mean, yeah, we had our farm, we had the land, we had our mortgage, but we didn't have any infrastructure yet that was equity, right? That was right. valuable, right? But the greenhouses were about to go up, so farm service agency said, "Great, we'll we'll take those as collateral. Like that is valuable, mm. and we'll we'll recognize that." So what you're saying is that's what happened. You know what I mean? Oh, like cool. we were able to get yeah. our loan because of the stuff we were about to build.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't yeah, know was, that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: If if anyone listening to this is a farm service agent and they're like, no, no, that's not how it works. I'm sorry. I might've botched it, but that is my understanding of what happened. So <laughs> anyway, not, so... I don't think
0: any FSA uh, agents are listening to us, but <laughs> I could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs>
1: yes, if so, please comment. Right. Um, yeah. I for us, our situation had become so uncomfortable where we were leasing for a lot of different reasons that it honestly like the fear of buying was less than the fear of staying. Oh okay. the fear of going was was nothing compared to the fear of gotcha. staying. Gotcha. Gotcha. And we were both just having a really hard time. So it was more like abandoned ship. <laughs> you know?
0: it was- Oh, just, to, no, I don't need you to go into into detail about this, but I just want to um, clarify for everybody listening. once you told your landlords that you'd been leasing from that you wanted to leave, the relationship started to get rocky from there. Is that just a correct general statement?
1: Actually, you know, I felt, it's funny, I felt they were, it got better, actually, after we oh, told them okay. we were going to leave. It There were just a couple years before that where I think Josh and I were just moving in this direction and our landlords were moving in the direction they were moving and right. we were just sort of moving yeah. apart, you know, but actually when we told them we were going to move on, they were really supportive. I mean, credit to them. Good. And in fact, they ended up buying some of our infrastructure, which really helped us build up the new farm. So um, yes, it was uncomfortable. I wouldn't say it was bad. Okay. It was just kind of uncomfortable. Cause right. like, you know, it's like when you leave your job, but you like your boss, but it's right. still weird. Like yeah. you told them you're quitting, but you yeah. still have to work for them for a month and right. That's everybody what I was wondering about it. If
0: it was just like, it made things yes. super awkward. So yeah. Um, yeah. There
1: were some other things unrelated to landlords that were making us uncomfortable too. I will tell you about it over a, okay. <laughs> a gin and tonic sometime, but anyway, it was, we just had to go, you know? Yeah. So it was more like, like, yes, it was, we were just so focused on getting that done. And the the mortgage itself is is scary. And I feel it more now actually than I did before, Mm. especially because um, things cost more to build up the farm than we expected. And we had a few things shift around. We had a personal loan that we were counting on that just fell through. So right now I'm definitely feeling like the financial stress of having all these loans for the first time that I've never had from our FSA loan to our mortgage. And Mm -hmm. we have an operating loan too. And Um, We owe one of our contractors a lot of money and he's just really nice and is letting us delay paying him. You know, there's a lot of pressure right now. Yeah. And in the dead of winter, it's a challenge to like Mm -hmm. even see how flowers are going to come and Mm -hmm. even see how we're going to have that incredibly profitable year that we've had every year for the past five years. So it's just kind of like with everything in the winter, hope and leap of faith. And like, you know, I keep thinking like, I've been doing this for 10 years. Why don't I trust myself more? You know, like, why don't I believe I can do it? More yeah. readily.
0: Yeah. You know? That that is a huge yeah. piece of the psychology of being a small business owner, no matter whether it's flower farming or any other kind of small business, is is learning that I've done this. I you like You really don't have faith in yourself sometimes and you need to like, I, I struggle with this still. I mean, this is gonna, I've done 15 years of flower farming now, like living off of my own, you know, I've not, I've not had an off farm job in those 15 years. I've just supported myself with love and fresh flowers and build it up, um, no safety net. And every year, particularly in the winter, for the record, the winter is when I lose my brain. It's the winter. It's the winter. You just it's kind the winter. of go off. You're just like, ah, I'm out floating in space. I have nothing to anchor me to a daily routine. And I just sometimes have to just literally, when I wake up in the morning, I just lay in bed and I remind myself, I just lay there, don't turn the lights on yet, but I'm awake and aware. And it's just like this like personal pep talk of just like, hey, you've done this like you've done this for so many seasons now what are you worried about you're fine there's there's money in the bank it'll be okay you have a house over your a roof over your head you're safe you're safe you're safe I just have to keep telling myself I'm safe um and then yeah and then spring comes and you forget all about that
1: (laughs) that's a wonderful practice
0: yeah Yeah, it's really helped ground me. Um, It's not one that I started with. It's just something I had to come to terms with over the year. Otherwise, I was literally going to lose my mind in the middle of the winter. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So anybody. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I've been feeling that every year, every winter too. And maybe this, everyone probably feels the yeah. same in the winter. The the thing that I untangled yesterday, as I told you, I, since I knew we were going to talk today, I felt like I needed to be in a more positive frame of mind. And it forced me to kind of untangle why I feel so deflated all the time and why I'm so stressed about the money. And like, suddenly the loan feels like such pressure and what am I doing here? And, you know, like all the feelings of winter. And what I realized is I... Have too much work. My workload is too much and Mm. I need to hire some help because every day I feel that I'm not getting my work, my to do list done. And meanwhile, more things are popping up that need to be done. And I was trying to save money by not having employees right now. But on the other hand, I'm losing crops because I don't have help. Right. So I'm so happy. (laughs) I feel so much better realizing (laughs) that. So I texted a couple of people who help us in the winter typically and they're all on board. And I'm just like, Oh, I can breathe again. Can breathe. So yeah, sometimes you just have to like know, like try to hone in on like what what is it? What's really the problem? Yeah. The problem is not that we have a mortgage, right? right. Like that's not the problem.
0: Yeah, no, so the problem is, is you're feeling the stress and the anxiety and you're right. What's the core root of that stress and anxiety for sure. Yeah, I feel like for me too in the winter, I just need to I was this was not a planned topic for the record everybody this is just now turning into like, know, an, like a off. rabbit hole we'll get we'll come back I
1: told you hole. it was going to be an exercise. <laughs> I know
0: it is it's just like get it all out but it's like it's funny because yeah. in the summertime and I had a there's a an episode about farmer burnout back from season two with Amelia Ilo. so that was like the flip side of that so for those listening you know if you want to feel the emotional roller coaster of farming go listen to that episode which was recorded in august and now this episode that we're recording is in january and it's like there's such a different emotional mountain to climb in january as a grower than there is in august in august it's total physical burnout like just Absolutely. And, and there's like a mental exhaustion too that goes with that. But in the, in the winter, every year, every year without fail, there's this like, um, it's just like a mental health challenge. You know, let's just be honest. Like it's mental health. That's what we have to like tackle in the winter as growers because we're so used to being outside. Um, but where was I going with this? Basically <laughs> that it happens to everybody and it happens every year. Um, and for me, what I find is and this is the first winter I feel like i have kind of doing winter right. And I'm sure I'm totally jinxing myself now, for the record. But um, I am letting myself rest in such a deep way that I've never done before as a grower. And its I know it's, um, um, it's a privilege to be able to rest so deeply and not everybody can do it. But I just want to encourage everybody who's listening to understand that sleeping is working, like in January you sleeping is actually work because only once your body feels truly and deeply rested in the winter time will you be able to do the work of the growing season so your job your to-do list right now needs to include deep rest you know whether it's sleeping or maybe you know you have another form of deep rest but um for me it's like normally i don't let myself sleep i'm just this kind of person that works 18 hour days and this year i'm like i'm sleeping and it's okay there's no shame in sleeping so i i hope for you laura beth that you find a way to get a little deep rest because if you don't this is my experience if you don't then every year it's just compounding um problems, you know, if you do that. So find a way to rest, darling.
1: Yeah, that's great. I love that. Yes. I, I think my way of finding deep rest is to see friends and Mm. just like have really good friend dates. And I definitely have not been doing that enough. So I'm trying, I am, I'm real, I'm trying to put it together. What is going on and like set myself up for having a more successful remaining winter (laughs) season while we try to (laughs) finish the barn and get all our greenhouse beds planted and all this stuff. I also need to, as you said, rest and and do whatever those things mean to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I hope that you do, because that's the way you actually have a profitable and successful year the next year is because you'll be healthy and be able to mentally tackle all the challenges of farming. um, If you have this this brain that's firing on all cylinders instead of one that's just weary and, and has has no more room to stretch, basically. So, yes. Yeah, so, yes.
1: all right. actually, the yep. other thing that I'm thinking about, I know we have to move on. Along, no, 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 sorry, no, no, go ahead. The... I was just going to reel us out of the rabbit hole, but I love a good rabbit hole, okay. so go for it. <laughs> yeah, okay. One more thing down in the rabbit hole, which is we have always wanted to be off-season growers at least always, like as in the last five years, Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to stop growing in the summer and grow during the shoulder seasons and in the winter. And uh, when we moved, it felt like the right time to make that change because we were making so many other changes too. As you know, we work super closely with our customers. Mm -hmm. They mean so much to us. Our relationships are super strong to the point that if I felt like we needed like a loan from them, for example, Mm -hmm. I feel they would give it. Like we are, it's, that relationship means a lot to me beyond just like a sales relationship. And I didn't want to, you know, every year have some new big change we were throwing at them. So I was like, you know what, this will just be the year. And we told them that we're going to stop selling from June 15th to August 15th. Wow. And during those eight weeks, we would just flip all the greenhouse beds for fall. We would get ourselves together. We'd go see friends. We'd relax a little bit. Um, You know, we wouldn't have yeah. as many employees, so we could sort of be on our own a little more. And then the exchanges we are going to grow late into the season. So we're going to try to one day hopefully have flowers through Christmas and um, hopefully have Valentine's Day flowers and all that. So one thing that I am wondering right now in the deep of winter when everything is dark and scary is maybe that was not a good choice because our, our greenhouse, you know, production has been really delayed. We we don't even have heat yet. And now I'm worried that we're not going to make as much money as we need Mm. to in the spring. And we already told people, we're not going to grow for eight weeks in the summer. We could totally change that. I mean, they would be cool if we did, but part of me is like, I think the bigger part of me wants to stick to the decision and we, you know, we committed to doing this for ourselves and we're never going to know if it works unless we try we and find a way to make it work. Yeah. So I'd love to hear your advice, actually. What do you yeah. think we should well, do? I should think, we stick to summer break?
0: Or? Yeah. I think I'm going to throw your words right back at you in the, in the most nurturing way possible. Trust the process. You know, that's what you've, you've been trusting the process this whole time. You know, you guys know what you want out of your lives. Um, and, a, I've coached a ton of people and I know you've coached a a lot of um, growers too, you know, through the years um, in terms of building a business. And the thing that I've always said is that you're building a business that makes you happy Don't it doesn't matter if your customers are happy. I mean, your customers will be happy when you're happy. And that's not to say like, be like, whatever, I don't care what you want, you know, but you do have to build a business that works for you that is the right business for you instead of worrying about so like right now, I'm sure you're feeling anxiety about those customers maybe feeling a little um like left out of your cycle or whatever over there. And you maybe now, you know, also aren't going to have flowers for them here in the beginning of the spring, the way you thought you were going to. And so that feels really scary. But at the end of the day, like you said, you've built such strong relationships with your customers. And I know your customers, so I know they're like super happy and delighted with Butterbee Farms. So that they'll be there when you get back don't worry and they they too see this tremendous transition and this big 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 project you're bringing on the fact that you even told people you would have flowers at all in 2023 is like mind-blowing to me personally (laughs) I would have just been like yo everybody time out uh halftime here gonna go take a break I'll see you in uh, another year (laughs) So you, you... in retrospect,
1: maybe should have.
0: (laughs) No, it's all right. I think they'll. You're such a good grower, and they'll they'll be very happy for whatever you bring to them. But I. I think you guys have a good idea. Um, And I I would say that for anybody listening is like you build what you want, build what you want. And then when you're happy and you feel successful, then your customers will ultimately be happy and feel successful because you can't help them and guide them and and nurture their relationships if you yourself are just broken and battered. So yeah, just you do you. Okay, cool. (laughs) Uh (laughs)
1: I'm going to have you give me that pep talk again I every day for the next several months. Oh, I will. <laughs>
0: Definitely. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to reel us up out of this rabbit hole though. I do love it. I love a good heart to heart as everybody knows. And to have a heart to heart with you is always so much fun, Laura Beth, but um, we're going to go back to like nuts and bolts just so everybody listening can kind of have a, a clear, helpful way forward. So um, I wanted to touch base again or Just double check. Uh, Buying land is very expensive. And you funded yours through FSA loans and uh, personal loans and going in on this with your parents as a way to sort of split the cost, so to speak. Um, Were there any other revenue sources for you to help buy the land?
1: Yeah. Our savings. I mean, we saved a lot oh, yeah, over savings. the years where we didn't have a mortgage <laughs> yeah. and um, our situation was very lucky. We lived in the house we lived in on the property for free as part. Well, not for free, but it was like part of our payment as yeah. groundskeepers. Right. So, you know, eight years without rent, essentially. Um, yeah. yeah. We were able to save. I'll go. Like I said, I'll go into ordering that class, but that's basically the layout. Yeah.
0: When you were looking at farmland, since you had a choice uh, of many, hopefully many properties, what were some of the factors you considered in terms of like, did you do soil testing when you're looking at land? Did you do water testing? Did you consider what infrastructure was there? What are some tips, just just quick, broad brushstroke tips you would give to people if they're looking for farmland? What would you say they should do?
1: Yeah, the number one thing for us was we wanted to be up on a hill. That Mm. was numero uno because yeah because change
0: <laughs> okay mm-hmm.
1: yep didn't want to deal with you can always add water but you have I mean you can take water away but it's very hard yeah so mm-hmm. you know mid-atlantic we got a lot of rain wanted to be up on a hill for that reason so that was big Um, another one was um, you know soil was not actually something that we cared about much to be mm-hmm. honest we farmed we've always farmed on it it has always been agricultural land, but, you know, it had been conventionally corn farmed Mm -hmm. for many years and was super depleted and super compacted. And, you know, we've learned how to deal with that. So soil wasn't as much something that we were worried about Uh, because we were looking with my parents. One of the things that we ended up looking for, yeah, I would say like it was at the top of the list was agricultural property or part of the property being separate from the residential part, Hmm. because obviously my parents didn't want to live in the middle of a commercial farm. And that ended up working out really nicely for us because I'm used to living right in the middle of the farm. And it is stressful if you're looking out the window, you're trying to have dinner, but you see this like patch of weeds, that's taken over your zinnias, you know, it just doesn't feel great. So now I can't even see him from my house, (laughs) which is so, so nice. (laughs) I really like that. Nice. So yeah, having a little like, you know, work-life balance in the mix was something that ended up being a priority. And then, um, being within a drivable distance to our customers, of course. So like, you know, radius from DC essentially was, and Baltimore was big. We ended up about 40 minutes north of Baltimore and an hour and a half from DC, which is just under twice as far to get there. So it's not that bad. It only adds, basically it adds like 35 minutes to drive to DC. It's fine. Okay. Okay. So um, that all worked out great. So I would say those were maybe the top things. And otherwise, we were like, we can figure out everything else. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, did you consider at all whether there were other flower farmers in the area? Because I know you do have other flower farmers in your area now that you moved to. Did that, Is that something that I could see that as being a pro and a con? And I'm asking this question because quite a number of newer farmers are now finding themselves in somewhat saturated markets. And it's hard to know whether you should go further afield and try to get away from people. Or is it nice to settle into a community of flower farmers?
1: Mm. Yeah, well, because of our business model, we deliver all our flowers. You know, we have hardly any on-farm sales and we we drive to the our customers, you know. So unless our customers decide they want to work with some other people, it doesn't matter whether we're next door to all of our competitors are not, right. you know? So yeah, not an issue, I would say. And we are in the middle of like a bunch of farmers. I mean, our, now our local farmer's market has one of our big competitors there, but we don't go to farmer's market. Right. So like, it's okay, you know? Yeah. And actually just yesterday I asked um, one of our, the Flowers by Bowers, mm-hmm. Matt Bowers right up the road, like less than a mile down the road from us. And we asked for his electrician and he yeah. gave us the name and now yeah. we're working with that guy, you know? So it, it's all good.
0: Yeah, I feel like yeah. there could be a lot of great, you know, synergies, so to speak, by having other mm-hmm. established flower farms around. You know, I don't consider that necessarily a horrible thing. It's all about everybody having their own market niche or and or just start a collective together and then you can all sell under one one right. banner or something like that. So um, just something to think about. I feel like if I was looking for land again and I had choices, not just like, hey, this land beside me <laughs> has to get bought or, or not, I'd be looking at um, the size of the the property, the soil, I would definitely do a soil test. I'd want to get a water test because quite often the quality of the water can drastically impact the longevity of your blooms and also change things like the pH in your soil if you're irrigating over long-term stretches of time. Um, And then I would personally be looking at like How do you, can a big truck get in? Like, what kind of access can the public get in? If you want to, you know, think about your sales model. What are you intending to sell? And then can those... Those vehicles get to you, (laughs) you know, is one thing to consider. Um, And then just how far away are you from your market location, like where you're selling? And I know you had to consider that, Laura Beth, when you made your move. And then also just what existing infrastructures on the farm, if I was looking, I'd be like, oh, I'd like to have a nice old barn or, you know, whatever, um, that kind of stuff. So those are just some things for the listeners who are maybe considering purchasing land or renting. That could apply to rent. Um, Also, when I first started renting my property, property um that I'm still farming I actually got a water test done because it was well watered and I wanted to make sure it wouldn't kill my flowers basically so so something to right. consider too
1: <laughs> yeah it occurs to me as you say that list that okay so we did have a list like that that was okay. very detailed and it had everything we wanted and we ended up having to throw it out the window really because yes. of the market that we were trying to find land in yeah it was so hot it was I mean I think what you're, what you're saying is ideal. And hopefully people who are looking for land have some years to do that. And then they can have that list and refer back to it and be like, how important is this to me and do all the testing. We were like, if we find something that could possibly work, we've got to We're get gonna it go so that we can it. move on with our lives. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I think what you're saying is ideal people yeah. should do that yeah. and maybe just don't buy at the height <laughs> of like the crazy house. <laughs> right, right.
0: Yeah. And I'm not saying those are just some ideas for everybody who has, mm-hmm. who's very new and has no idea what questions to even begin to ask. Um, but yeah, yes. like everything in farming, you just kind of have to, at a certain point, just like jump in that current and get washed down the stream and see where you come out in the stuff. <laughs> see- Exactly. <laughs> so it's not yeah. like you can have all the like ideals in the world, but sometimes you just got to go. You just got to go sink or swim, yes. baby. <laughs> so, All right. So now my next question um, to roll us along a little bit is you you basically once you bought the farm, you had a clean slate. There were no structures. on. I mean, I know you have an old barn um, for listeners. There is an older barn on your property that you bought, but essentially where you're farming, farming it was a blank slate. And now you get to choose what you want to do. And you you have all these lessons you've brought with you. So this, this here is the real magic, everybody. If you had a farm and you were leasing it and you learned all your lessons at that old place, now you get to go to a new place (laughs) and start over and make really good choices for yourself. So Laura Beth, what kind of choices did you guys make that you were like, we're going to fix this this time?
1: Yeah, it is kind of a dream, isn't it? Yeah. Well, at our old farm, all of our high tunnels were just wherever we had room to put them. As you know, because you've been mm-hmm. there. I mean, they're up on a hill. They're at the bottom of a hill. So they're all far apart from each other. There's no driving access to them. I mean, there's a lot of walking around. So at this farm, we were like, all of our greenhouses are going to be just right next to each other, boop, boop, boop. And we're going to be able to drive around all of them in a circle. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's amazing. <just> wonderful. <laughs> yes. So essentially, when we we had a map of the farm, on, you know we had a like satellite image from Google Maps, and we made many drawings of that map. But what ultimately happened was we looked at the flattest part of the farm, because that's where the heated greenhouses were going to go. Mm. We were going to have to grade that so that we could put the greenhouses there. Since they have a roof fence, they can't be on a slope, like an unheated hoop house that doesn't have a vent. They do really need to be flat. Mm-hmm. And grading is really expensive. It was probably one of our business, big, biggest expenses here. So we were like, all right, we need to pick the flattest part for the greenhouses. So that is was the cornerstone. And then everything else got built around that. So first it was what's flattest or what can be made flattest most affordably. Greenhouses have to go there, great. And then that means the road has to go in this certain way. That means that the barn has to be over here. That means that the well needs to be close to the barn. It sort of all came from that.
0: Nice. So basically pick pick the central radius and then like, you know, draw or the axis, sorry, and then just radiate out from there in whatever way makes sense. So, yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. And for us, like greenhouses, just like to give you a picture, if you can picture like a rectangle, um, the greenhouses are in like the top corner. Mm-hmm. So that. It wasn't like, you know, I think ideally it, we would have a perfectly flat piece of land and the barn would go right in the middle mm-hmm. and then everything else would radiate around the, the barn. And that is actually what ended up happening here. But we had to think about it more like what's happening in the corner where it's right. flattest, right. you know, and then <laughs> and then figure everything yeah. else out.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah. Were there any other big system changes that you made that could just, you know, sort of apply to anybody looking to build a farm out? Or this is maybe is too big of a question and something for another,
1: for your no, class or another a, conversation. Right. We could go on and on and on and on and on. But one huge change that I'm very excited about is at our at our old property, we had a barn that we could use, but it wasn't our barn. And as you know, we only really had a corner of the barn that mm-hmm. we could use. So basically we had a walk-in cooler and that was what we had in terms of the barn. Here we have a whole barn that we are building. That will be right in the middle of the farm. So, you know, for the first time ever, my office can actually be at the barn. So, if if I'm sitting at my office emailing a florist about inventory, I can walk 10 feet to the cooler and look in there and answer the question, you know? Uh. So, just the efficiency of having that there. I mean, it's little stuff, but it's like, this is so simple. But for example, our employees never could make a tea for themselves on a hot day because Mm -hmm. we didn't really have a barn where they could do that. And they can't just go into our house. Like, that's kind of awkward. So, here we're going to have like, you know, and we're going to have like, I don't know, pads and tampons for people, you know, like (laughs) it's like a small thing, but yeah. And lockers, I highly
0: suggest getting lockers for employees, by the way, I got lockers for mine and it's, they love it. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: (sighs) Yeah. People need to be comfortable so that Mm -hmm. they want to come to work and they're excited about it. So they have their sunscreen and their extra pair of shoes. And, you know, it's those little things that I think are really going to change our lives. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. (laughs) And have a little kitchenette in there. It's just like. All of that is just going to be so great. So really, really excited about that. Um, And then let's see, there was one other thing I was going to tell you about that was, what was it? Everything next to each other. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay. so this leads into something I know you wanted to talk about, which is the goats. Oh, yeah. So at the old place, yeah, we had solar powered electric fences that were about two feet high. Uh, they were there was one perimeter around the field of fencing and then three feet out from that, there was another perimeter of fencing, and mm-hmm. they were both electric using just like a solar powered electric charger and we would bait the fence with peanut butter like every week so that the deer yep. would come up to it and like learn we did that for 10 years it's you guys, so much work it it's,
0: i've done great. that too it's so much work yeah. and then it's you forget so like one time or you don't get it mowed right or whatever and then next thing you know you got deer in your field <laughs> so.
1: exactly right you can also train them to come up to the fence if you're not properly charging it so right. there's you know we had essentially four and a half acres fenced in With we had like three different solar charts. it was like a whole thing and I'm just so excited to not deal with that anymore <laughs> that was a huge priority at the new place so at first we were like okay well there's a lot of deer pressure here I would say almost as much as at our old place although it's a little different because we were in the suburbs and now we're in a rural area so the deer here seem interested in slightly different things I've mm-hmm. already noticed well but, they just
0: have more corn um, and alfalfa to eat basically <laughs> so they have other food yes, now there's definitely yeah.
1: right there's more space there's more space for them to go around things you know so it seems as though um, well okay let me back up so we said we don't want to so we don't want an electric fence anymore if we can avoid it so what are our options i guess a 10 foot fence that's permanent or a fence like what you use where it's like semi it's not really permanent right like it's
0: yeah i could pull it out of the ground if i wanted to. you could pull it out
1: yeah exactly right but those are sometimes a little harder with maintenance because mm-hmm. they're not as strong so if a tree falls you know whatever yep. anyway we had some different options. So we went to this farm um, that, for totally unrelated reasons, we went to visit this farm. Shoot, what's it called? Do you know who I'm talking about? The fig I, guy.
0: You've told me about it, but I don't know what the farm name is. Yeah, yeah. The
1: Mechanicsburg fig guy. Can we, we can look it up. And yeah, we'll look it, it up and put notes, a but,
0: yeah a link in the show notes.
1: Yeah, he grows a lot of figs, lots of fruit. And when we went to see his fig operation, we saw this crazy fence that he had, which was basically the same as our solar-powered electric fence, where it was the two perimeters of fencing. The two perimeters were about ten feet apart, so wider, and goats lived in between those fences, like essentially a moat, like a goat moat. Yeah, goat moat. The I field. love it. There's a goat <laughs> moat. <laughs> I know, it's a goat <laughs> moat. So we we're like, what the heck is this? Like, aren't your goats getting out all the time and eating all your delicious fruit that right. is like right next to them? And he was like, No, literally, we've never had a problem, and deer never get in because they smell the goats, wow. and it deters them. So mm-hmm. you're like, this is for us. <laughs> so. <laughs> that's what we did. And now we have goats. <laughs> that is amazing.
0: So I know yeah. you just got the goats like a couple weeks ago. Uh, we'll do really because mm-hmm. I've had listeners ask about livestock at a flower farm, a small flower farm. So equivalent of like, essentially, um, oh, I don't think I, I asked you to tell everybody like how much in theory acreage are you going to be on actually growing on at this new farm because it's not that big. Um, and so you are still sort of yeah. a small farm, even though you've really dialed it in to like, Super fine tune everything, but t- how, yeah. how how big is yeah? That?
1: It's funny, it's almost exactly the same. So we had four and a half acres at the old place, and here we have four and a half acres too. It's like four point nine or okay. something, but slightly more of it is taken up by infrastructure than at the old place. You know, like our right. barn's right in the middle yeah. of it. We've got driveway. Right. So what's happening here is that we have more space under greenhouse cover, cover and less space in woodies. Like that was a great opportunity, and slightly less annual flower space, but it's. It's pretty comparable.
0: Yeah. So, so and then ultimately horrendous. your goat moat, your goat moat is around <laughs> your woodies and your annuals. So your goat moat is not around the whole farm. So it's just around what, like an acre or so? I, I'm trying to eyeball yes, it. Exactly. Yeah. It's just okay. about an acre.
1: Yep. Okay. And half of it, half of that is in woodies, slightly less than half. No, I guess it's half. And the other half is the annuals okay. within okay. that
0: moat. So this is just yeah. to say, to put it in context, that smaller growers who want to introduce livestock, and I'm not talking just chickens, though chickens is great, and I'm not saying chickens aren't livestock, but I'm talking four-legged livestock. Um, A lot of times we feel like we need to have a lot of space, or I will say I feel like I need to have a lot of space to introduce um, livestock in that manner, but yet we all know that ruminants, or a lot of people realize that having um, hooved animals, let's put it that way, is really good. Their manure is excellent for soil biology, for having better balanced soil better nutrients in the soil um, so they they are something that is often considered a, a pillar of regenerative agriculture and yet as small flower farmers in particular because let's face it goats could be a horrible idea <laughs> at a flower farm <laughs> and so I've always been terrified of the idea of bringing them because they're escape artists like they could get anywhere so you're taking a huge leap of faith. You're the first person I know that's putting goats on such a s- essentially small area. How's it going so far?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not only are they in a small area, but they live in a circle around our flower field, so... Yeah, that's fun. Um, You're right, there, escape artists. I should say there's a couple other reasons why we got them too. So uh, my husband is really the one, Dasha, he's in charge of all this. So he's really excited about using them for invasive removal. Nobody lived at this property for a couple of years before we bought it and there's poison ivy everywhere. There's a lot of stuff that the goats are gonna eat up and it's gonna be great. So he's very excited about that. And then as you said, the manure, we're definitely gonna be using that and we're hoping to start creating our own compost more actively and better compost through um, using the goats to help us with that. And also through permaculture, um, and chickens. And, you know, we're adding, we're definitely adding livestock heavily for that reason. Um, and then of course the fence is, is great. And also the cuteness, don't get the cute. <laughs> and that makes us happy. And that is a great right. reason to get goats. Yeah. So yeah, they have gotten out a couple times. They've also gotten into the field once. They
0: did. I was wondering. So
1: they did. Um, yeah. What we decided is if they're still getting out come April, then they're going to go to a nice happy family that is not our family and we'll get some sheep instead sheep are not escape artists and Mm -hmm. they'll essentially serve the same function in terms of keeping deer out of the moat although they won't help us with invasives it's you know a slightly different thing but you have a plan if it doesn't work out but what we've noticed about them is yes they're really smart but also we're really smart so (laughs) the the thing is just staying on top of you know what ways they use to get out and mm-hmm. we've already gotten smarter about it and noticed it and i you know actually the past couple of weeks have been pretty successful so we'll see what happens yeah you know and also they don't have a lot to eat right it. now.
0: I'm I know you're feeding them, don't don't get me wrong. But there's not that much happening in their moat at the moment. So maybe once there's grass and you know, like more life exactly. happening in the moat, they won't be as tempted to leave the moat. Plus, I'm assuming exactly. you'll take them true. over to the woods to to graze on all the invases and stuff. So and once they have more variety, they're probably just bored right now.
1: <laughs> I think they are. They act bored, honestly. So I I think that's a big part of it. For sure. Yeah. They are, they're fun. And I, yeah, we, I think the thing about having them right there, I think it wouldn't work if we were just going to leave them in that moat 24 seven, mm. but every night when the sun starts to go down, we put them in a little shed where they're locked in for the whole night because we have coyotes here. So if we didn't, okay. they probably probably eaten. and that way I can like sleep and not worry about it. And then in the morning they come out and then we're at the farm. So, okay. you know, it's, So far, it feels pretty manageable. And like I said, we've been able to figure out how they got out every time and fix that problem. So I don't really know what's going to happen, but we're excited to try this weird thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for you. And if everybody who's listening, just follow Butterbee Farms on Instagram, because you get goat content. And then I'm sure you'll update us if there's any (laughs) any goat uh, shenanigans in general. And for the record, they're they're pygmy goats. So that's why you got to worry about the coyotes. I don't think if you had full grown goats, you would necessarily have to worry about coyotes, but Yeah, we might
1: not. Yeah, they are um, Nigerian dwarf goats. Okay, okay. They're really good for milking, apparently. Although that's not something that we're doing anytime soon. I didn't know you were going to start milking, but sure. Oh, no, nobody (laughs) has time for that. Right, exactly, exactly. Maybe that'll be my retirement project one day.
0: Uh, all right. So tell me, what has been some of your biggest eye openers in moving your farm? Because I'm sure it feels like you're starting all over again. I, I mean, you have to. Like, your soil is going to be a completely different soil. Your layout's completely different. Where do you put all the stuff that you were used to knowing right where it is? So, like, what are some of the things that maybe anybody who's listening can really like understand about this process. Like what, what, what would you just basically tell people who are
1: thinking about Mm -hmm. moving a farm? (laughs) Yeah. You actually just nailed it. It is exactly what you just said. It is that I think I know how long it takes to do things at the old farm. And the thing is that doesn't really translate at the new place because a, it's a totally different place with different things and factors and B Nothing is set up yet. So, in order to, for example, weed a bed, I have to go find my hoe, make sure it's sharp, and bring it to the right place. And then, you know, hopefully, the greenhouse isn't having some kind of major crisis that I need to figure out. And what you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Josh and I keep saying it. It feels like there's like ten things we have to do in order to just get this one very simple thing done that normally we just do. You know? Right. So, allowing myself more time to to get things done smaller to-do lists. And like I said, hiring people to help me, you know, because I, I literally cannot do all the things that I'm required to do right now by myself, but there's a lot of people who are very capable at seeding and weeding and broad forking who can come here and help me do that so that I can focus on whatever crisis is popping up or, you know, just even making sure that all of our tools are organized so that we can find them quickly instead of having to spend an hour looking or, you know, yeah. Um, that that's something that I feel like we learn the hard way is just like, wow, it takes a lot of time to set things up and to set things up. Right. is worth it. So it's worth taking the time. Yeah. I've
0: always felt that way myself. Like I haven't had to like move the way you have, but I this is something that's come to me over the years as a flower farmer, and I'm sure the same for you, is like, yeah, set it up right the first time. Like, don't just, like, half-ass this. Like, it's okay to bootstrap stuff a little bit. In fact, I still bootstrap stuff like crazy. I, I can't even... <laughs> Some of the things that are totally bootstrapped around my farm, it's sort of like, Jenny, you're a little too established to keep doing this. Would you just, like, actually hire a plumber instead of this weird, like, tape and thing you got going on? But anyway, (laughs) um, at a certain point, it's worth doing it right. Like, the more you do it right, the better it'll be in the long term. So I know you're building your greenhouses all over again, and I just build a greenhouse, too. And it's like, just put the money into it in the beginning instead of having to, like limp through the next decade essentially so yeah i'm sure you've you've made a lot of good choices that way
1: <laughs> i hope so you know a lot of time i'm not sure if i am prioritizing the right things over other things mm-hmm. you know so like a small example is we could we could afford to build two greenhouses But if you build three, you save on shipping because they're already shipping you the stuff. You save on the build because the builders are already there, right? You save on the plumber because he's already there. The electrician, you know, all those things. So three was a a huge stretch, but also think of the savings, think of the profit. So we built three, you know? So like, it's that kind of decision that I'm like, not sure yet if we called it right (laughs) I think you will. <laughs> like,
0: I, Based on my own experience, yeah. I, I, every time I, I make one of those smart decisions, even though it feels super, super stressful in the moment, because it does require more of an investment up front, it is the right decision in the long term. Like putting polycarbonate, we had this in a text thread the other day, I put polycarbonate mm-hmm. on my new greenhouse, the whole thing is polycarbonate. And like, that was an extra like $50,000, <laughs> which seemed like an insane idea at the time. But now the I'm reaping like such an amazing climate inside of that house because it's it's polycarbonate instead of plastic. So, so, awesome. um, so there's those kind of things. You know, they seem scary in the moment, but in the end, it'll all be good. So
1: yeah. If you can afford them, of course. Yeah. And like, you know, you <laughs> and I both, as we're saying, bootstrapped for our yeah. first 10 years. So now yeah. we're when you're 15 years, right? So yeah. now I guess it's just a matter of like, when do you decide yeah. to do it the right way and invest in yourself and invest yeah. in the future? And when do you decide this is really not something I can afford right yeah. now? And, yeah. you know, only you can answer those questions right. for yourself. Right, exactly. It's context, yeah.
0: context but- specific. <sighs> Yeah, but definitely a good dose of bravery is is a good yeah. help. Yeah. A lot <laughs> of bravery. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I pick I pick a word every year at New Year's and 2018 is when I bought my land and that year my word was courage. Um and yeah, oh, that's yeah. I think that's the a... That summed it up right there. It took a lot of courage. (laughs) What is this year's word? Uh, Endurance is this year's word because I feel like I was getting a little threadbare from buying land and building all this infrastructure and putting so much into it. And I'm five years, you know, now 2023 is five years after I literally I think it might be five years today. (gasps) That's so weird. I'm going to have to look it up, but it might be five years today that I signed the mortgage um, on oh my, my page. Gosh, that on my that would be so cool. That would be so cool. I'm going to have to look. But yeah. uh, anyway, basically, you know, the past five years have just been like one hell of a marathon and you're going to, you're, you're here now, you know what this feels like. Um, and so this year is like, I know I just, I have just, I'm so close to the finish line on just setting it all up and having it all done. And um, and then from there, it'll be something else, but I just got indoor to get through the finish line right now. So. So so that's my
1: word. All right. And it's going to be hope, I think.
0: Okay, good. Yeah. Or Or faith. Maybe faith. Faith. I faith. think faith, faith is, is a better. good one for you. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm going to assign
0: you a word now. <laughs> great. I'll take it, please.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, Yeah.
0: All right. Any, I know we're going to wrap it up here because uh, we'll just keep talking, but we're going to, we're going to um, let you go. Is there any final, like great piece of advice you have for people who are considering about buying land um, or leasing land, just starting a farm or evolving a farm? And also I know you've got your class that you're going to teach too. So people should definitely tap into that uh, for additional resources you're such a good coach but anything you want to parting parting words of wisdom for our listeners today <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> yes I always come back to this um yeah invest in relationships with other growers of all kinds I that is I could not do what we did this past year, without my relationship with you and Michelle Elston from Roots, mm-hmm. with Ellen Frost, who we sell to, and who's our good friend and mentor sometimes when we need help, all all kinds of people. Mike, also friends who just are sort of at the same level as me, and you know, just we're watching each other and tossing advice back and forth, mm-hmm. investing in those relationships, making time for those relationships that are not—they're not quite friendships, are they? They're like something more. It's like. Yeah. Like when you were talking about how a farm is an organism, it's, mm-hmm. like a, it's a life unto itself. I was yep. like, oh my gosh, like so few people understand that on a deep level. And it just makes me feel so seen that, you know, that, Aww. you know, so yeah, just finding those people and making yeah. time to find them and, and just getting out there is, it's so important. Like, it's
0: everything. And I, I, I'm just going to um, amplify what you said there. As I, I've been building this, um, the Philadelphia Floral Guild is the collective that I've, that I've been helping build here in Philadelphia of, of flower farmers. And the analogy I keep using with them, and I, I just put it out here to the world is like, our, our relationships as growers in that collective is an ecosystem in and of itself. So too often humans just don't, when we say the word ecosystem, we think we're looking through a window at something else. But we are an ecosystem. Even our bodies alone are ecosystems. But, like, our our interactions relationships with each other are as an ecosystem. The same way as, like, mycelium are an ecosystem, you know, are, are linked in with, with tree roots and that tree's leaves are falling and providing shelter and housing for worms. You know, that that is an ecosystem. And the ecosystem, Laura Beth, you and I are friends and support each other and with our, our own ecosystem as well. Everybody is part of an ecosystem of your own human relationships and then also your farmers and ecosystem and all the things. So, thank you for being with me today, Laura Beth. You always bring so much to the show, and I know everybody's going to love hearing your voice again. And um yeah, um, you'll probably be back. I-, I suspect you'll be back here. <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't think we covered like half of the list of questions. You had, I know. So there's, I, I so <laughs> there's so much. There's <laughs> yeah. so much.
0: Thank right. you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Be so well. <laughs> well that wraps up another energetic episode of no-till flowers i'm so grateful you tuned in and hope you got several new ideas that can help you farm more in step with nature if you enjoyed this episode please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the next one also please take a second to rate and review the podcast wherever you're getting it reviews help grow this show and let others know that it's worth a listen Many thanks to Matt Moran, the post-production manager of No-Till Flowers, for his meticulous editing so you don't have to listen to too many of my outbursts of excitement and laughter. Also, gratitude goes to Nikolai Fox for the original music used here on the show. Until next time, remember, it all stems from the soil.